and it changes mm -hmm. the entire like landscape of Uganda. And then you actually have a whole country that functions and can, you have how many amazing minds are there you know, that can't think because they're not healthy. Right. Yeah. Um, and then these kids, you know, it takes, it's expensive to treat typhoid. <laughs> and right. so that, that money doesn't have to go to treating typhoid. Um, they also didn't have to spend money, you know, on wood. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you look at carbon emissions, you know, that's one of the things that we have also measured and, you know, our filters are being rated. And, you know, so each filter um, has a reduction of 2.5 tons of carbon emissions per year. Oh. And then two, two tons of wood not burned per year for each household filter. I mean, that's amazing. Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So before this version of myself, I was Am, artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love in investor relations and podcasting professional. Woo! It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that the best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you. Through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity. My curiosity has me focused on career, plants, shadow light and integration work, art, permaculture, and community building. These are my purposes in life. And for me, they all go together. They're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast. And I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy! Today, we are joined by Barika Poole of Spouts. I'm so excited to talk to you. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to bring you on the show because you're doing something so incredible and that people can be involved in. So please maybe just give us a little insight on your background and how you came to what you're doing now. Okay, sure. So um, my current position right now is I'm uh, the executive director of Spouts um, Uganda, and um, we are a nonprofit that provides of drinking water filters, ceramic drinking water filters to disadvantaged communities in rural Uganda. And um, we have been in operation since 2017 as the nonprofit. And um, we have a sister company called Spouts of Water that operates here as a social business. It's been in operation since about 2011, um, officially since 20, 2015. So, um, how I got here is I, my background is I'm an environmental engineer. Um, I got my bachelor's and master's from MIT. Um, and then I went to work for um, the consulting industry <laughs> for about 13 years and um, doing water resources projects, you know, water supply, you know, groundwater wells and treatment and things like that for co uh, communities in Boston and in uh, Florida. 
And during that time, I got exposed to an organization called Water for People, and we did a lot of volunteer work um, around the world in South America, Central America, and India. And I really was um, brought back to my love and desire to create um, a better world for everyone. And, you know, when I looked at, back at my history, I always had a interest in water. Um, when I look back at former science projects when I was little, I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I've been interested in water for a long time. Um, you know, I was looking at a, the water quality between, you know, bottled water, well water, and tap water. Um, and then, you know, just even as my travels, you know, as I was growing up, you know, traveling to different countries and seeing how we couldn't drink the water and just, I guess it's always just kind of been in the back of my mind um, and then kind of manifested, you know, in college and then, you know, through my career. Um, in college, I did a project in water sanitation developing countries in Nepal where we were looking at uh, creating household water treatment filters for arsenic contamination in the groundwater there. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of been a, a kind of running in the background and then slowly coming to the forefront uh, of my of my career and so through my volunteer work I decided I want to do this uh, professionally and full-time and um, because I just felt that you know we live in a world where I don't feel that kids should die because they don't have clean water to drink. I love one of the things that you said when we had our you know pre-podcast conversation and you said that when you were young like you thought you needed to like go and learn and work and that, you know, like, for example, when you were in Nepal, you know, it was, that must've been so intense, but you had like different notions about how you were supposed to be doing to get to what you're doing now. Yes, yes. So, um, I, you know, when I was in Nepal, I was like, this is great. Um, you know, and also, you know, being at MIT, you know, you're thinking like, oh, what are the grand, grand solutions that you can, you know, come up with. And my advisor was like, no, you got to think out of the box here. You know, <laughs> you have to look at locally available materials and costs because these are, you know, populations that can't afford, you know, the latest, greatest thing that's out there. And so I, you know, when I graduated, I was like, okay, I do want to do this, but I feel like I need to go and like, you know, pay my dues to the consulting industry and learn, you know, get some, you know, I guess meat on my bones in terms of my experience and yeah. then go and do this work. And, um, you know, when I decided that I really wanted to do it, I found out that I didn't have to do that. So, <laughs> um, but it gives me also a different perspective that some people don't have. And so, you know, I think that one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, nobody's path is a straight path in, in terms of what you're doing and all experience is valuable. Um, it might be a little bit more difficult, but, um, you know, if you, you know, work hard enough and you're really, you know, have the great connections, then you can actually arrive at where you want to be. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's probably pretty healthy to know how to reverse arsenic found in groundwater, you know, as a professional, like having, being that smart and working on projects like that, it's not, I mean, as, as difficult as it probably was, it's, it probably just added so much value to your mindset, you know, that, everything's kind of possible, right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and you said that there was one lady uh, in Uganda who said to you that she never thought she'd see clean water in her whole life, you know? Like, what does it feel like to be helping people in that way? You know, it's, it's incredible, it's amazing. I mean, um, and it's heartbreaking, right? That, right. You know, People have lived, you know, this woman, she was, you know, she was elderly. I don't know how old she was, but I would imagine, you know, maybe in her 70s. And, um, but that, you know, living in such harsh conditions um, her whole life is her reality and the reality of many people um, in this area of the world. And so being able to, um, to really give back to her in that way and that, you know, it's so valuable even at her age that, <laughs> you know, she was just so happy. She was like, wow. And then she was like, she, she actually said, um, she said, next I need new teeth. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my yeah. God. Oh. 
I, I've lived in places where you can't drink water. And it really, as a Western, you know, as an American, I think it really changed me. You know, when I was living in Bali, you go and you get, you know, not when you're at the resorts, but I didn't live in resorts, but you, you get these like gallons of water and you, you know, you have to clean your vegetables with it. You brush your teeth with it. You know, there is water coming out of the, of, out of the, the faucets. But you really have a very high likelihood of picking up a parasite or something, which I think that as long as you live in those places, you inevitably do kind of pick those things up, which I definitely got in Vietnam and in Bali. But, <laughs> but I will, you know, you just don't want to be sick for, you know, you, when, when you do get sick in those places, you are like, okay, I'll never do that again. But it does really change the way that you kind of look at the world that like when you come back, you're like, oh, thank God for this. I can drink water out of this faucet. You know, I don't have to go to the kitchen and get a glass of water and then pour it on my toothbrush. I mean, I think it's good to do that. And I wish every American or North American person would have to do that just because it makes you respect your water so much more. And I think one of the things we talked about before that I found so fascinating is like, when you, when you do kind of get back to normal, you almost forget pretty quickly how convenient it is it you you had that experience right something along the yes way. yeah um definitely um yeah coming back and having you know your first experience like that realization like you know just turning on the um turning on the faucet and you know i was like well i know i don't have to do anything else to this water like i can just drink it um, that being that profound, but then as you go about your everyday life and you get back into the comforts of, you know, your life, you're, it's just commonplace, you know, you do kind of end up taking it for granted <laughs> sometimes. And then it's like, okay, let me snap back, you know, and see what can I do even on my, in my daily life in the U S to help, you know, conserve water. Cause I know that it's an issue. So, um, right. yeah, but it's just, yeah, it's one of those things. <laughs> and I find it interesting that you also said that, you know, and we're going to talk about spouts in a minute for people who are like, well, what is spouts? So we're going to talk about it in a minute, but this question might jump ahead a little bit, but I guess when you do solve that problem for people there, do, so they kind of get into that routine of, of getting used to it as well, even though their whole lives, they've had to basically go through this process of buying charcoal, boiling water, letting it cool, taking big chunks out of their daily lives out to get clean water and resources as well. Like, do, and do you find that they also kind of just get used to it in a way? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say, I think they still appreciate, they still appreciate it because if you think about it, I mean, we're not, we're not providing them with piped water in their homes of right. unlimited supply, right? Exactly. So it is just, it's clean water for, for their health. And then also, you know, if, the, if they are, cause some of the people they didn't have, they didn't have the funds to, you know, buy charcoal or wood in order to boil water. And so they were just drinking dirty water. Uh, <clears throat> um, and so, and of course getting sick. And so, you know, I think that it's completely different when, you know, for us, it's just, you know, it's there, we're not getting sick because of it. It doesn't completely change our lives, right? You know, from what we were doing before. Um, right. But for them, it's a constant, um, you know, just like you said, it's a constant activity every single day in order to just get something clean to drink. And so now with a filter, you know, it cuts down on the time that they have to do, that they have to take to prepare water. And then also, so, so in one of our communities, we average that like women and girls spend about 37 minutes um, preparing water. Um, and so now they don't have to do that. And so now they can take that time to study, to like, you know, go into other economic, you know, opportunities or whatever. Now, that's just 37 minutes, but still, but it's still significant. Um, and then also the cost for those people that are actually um, um, boiling water, then now they don't have to take that money to boil water. And also, you know, then there's, you know, the smoke, the environmental factors of that as well. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that they still might be, be boiling for cooking, right? We're, we're just taking away the boiling for, for drinking water and preparing water. Um, but then there are other organizations here that are, you know, pioneering, you know, and getting out cook stoves, you know, for people that, so it's not as, um, not as bad for them as well. Right. That, I mean, there's so many elements of, of 
trying to improve the quality of life that goes into this. But when it comes to spouts, I, I do want to talk about spouts, but uh, just piggybacking on what you said, because you said that your college, um, your multi-year project, like you guys would, it's been going since 2001 and that you went and visited it in 2015. And it was pretty incredible to see that how much the economy changed of that place when you just fix the water solution because people can now have more time to educate themselves you know they have they have a better quality of life and and the the, the community start to develop yes yes so the project started um it started before 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 that 2001 probably maybe 99 98 um and then um it continued i believe until i'm not quite sure if it was until 2015 but in 2015 is when when we actually my professor actually got back and was able to see pictures <laughs> oh, so, that's the, so nice though yeah because yeah because the um nepal had some a lot of instability for several years and so they had to stop going but through all of those multi-year projects, significant work had been done. And so basically, you know, the area in the house that we had stayed in was just kind of like a concrete block house with a couple of open rooms um, and, you know, single story. And then when she went back and got pictures, you know, the, the entire landscape was changed. It was developed, you know, four-story homes, you know, <laughs> with, you know, all the accoutrements, like, you know, and it was just, it was wonderful to see that, you know, people having water and then also the, you know, establishing, you know, a business where this person was, um, you know, making these water filters, you know, and so he was able to make the water filters, employ others and give them economic opportunity and that just completely changed. Okay, so let's talk about spouts. So, okay, basically you guys deploy water filters, right? Yes, so um, ceramic water filters, and this technology has been around for a long time, started back in the, you know, with in this kind of application in um, developing countries in the 1980s and um, in, in Guatemala. And so we have a ceramic water filter factory here in Uganda. It's the only ceramic water filter factory that's here locally. And um, so the filters are made with two types of clay and sawdust, um, mixed with water, pressed in a mold, dried, and then um, fired in the kiln, where it burns off the sawdust, and then that creates the microscopic, microscopic pores that trap the bacteria. And so these filters, um, <clears throat> we deploy them in households, in institutions, such as schools, health centers, refugee communities, um, even prisons, orphanages, et cetera around Kampala and in the rural areas in Uganda. And then how long do they last? So it depends on how, on the maintenance and how your maintenance upkeep. So anywhere between two and five years so far that we know, because um, it's just been in operation. So the first filter in two, 2015. And so, um, so what you do is to clean it is that you you know, clean it with clean water and a cloth and you just clean the outside and the inside, no soap, because that'll clog the pores and you clean it every two weeks and you're good to go. Um, the, and the thing is, is that, you know, when it, when it, when we say the lifespan is, you know, two to five years, that is just dependent upon the flow rate. So never will you get unclean water from the filter. It's just the flow rate would be not optimal. So you'll be waiting a long time because it's been clogged by the bacteria over the years. Got it. And how much does a filter cost? So a household filter costs $25 and then the institutional filter is $83. And what is the need in Uganda? So there's 21 million people who don't have access to clean water in Uganda um, of a population of 42 million. So about half. Um, and so you know, so the need, so the need is great. Um, so far, we've been able to um, provide filters for a quarter of a million people. Um, our goal is to provide 14% of the population with filters by 2025. Um, but essentially, you know, I think we did the numbers, it came out to $10.5 million um, if we were to provide, you know, the 21 million people with access to safe water, um, everybody a filter. 
Wow, that's amazing. So if any billionaires are listening to this and they want to donate to this and just basically give everyone an entire country clean water instead of buying a new boat, that would be awesome, right? That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be a really great way to spend your money this year, guys. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so it's crazy when you do think about this and you start kind of going down the path of like, you know, it's, it seems so unfair, you know, that that the world is so divided. You know, I think I read this incredible statistic that was if everybody just gave up ice cream for a year, it could it could feed everyone on the planet with that money. Something crazy yeah. like that. And you're like, yeah. I, I didn't eat ice cream a lot in 2019, actually. Like that, I, everyone could do that. You know, it's just a matter of people having the social awareness, the understanding and the desire to help people that, they're never going to meet, you know, which I do think that there's a, a, a consciousness that's kind of emerging, especially from what's going on right now, where people are becoming, they're understanding experiences over things, you know, helping other people creates, you know, a better world. <laughs> but it, sometimes it does, the world does feel very divided. Yes, yes, it does. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, it's really just us taking time and, you know, looking over at, you know, your neighbor or somebody else and saying, you know, how can I help you? You know, because you don't have to have this mindset that I have to get everything that I can, right? And hoard everything. Um, you know, it's sharing, you know, sharing is caring. <laughs> right. And like, you can't take it with you when you die. Why are you trying to save all this stuff? You know? Exactly. 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 And the thing is, is that once we lift each other up, you know, everybody, you know, they say, you know, a rising, uh, how do they say? A, oh, I forget about the ship. It's something like, what's that? What's that? <laughs> rises all ships. A something ship rises all ships. I don't know. Never mind. You can cut that out. But. Well, <laughs> I like it. What is it? We got to find it now. Oh my gosh. Hey. This theory is not for everybody, but I do believe our spirit collects experiences and that that is the only thing that we take with us. And I do think like when you start kind of realizing I am, I am my experiences, you start wanting your experiences to be filled with people and, and helping and and that's like the true, that's the soul's currency, you know? So I feel like there's probably a lot of young women listening who are like, well, what are the steps I take to like filling my potential while doing something that's good? So like, I guess, what would you tell young people who want to have a career in this, but maybe who feel overwhelmed with the need to basically provide financially, but also help? Um. Well, I, I would say, you know, first, you know, if, if anything, you know, if you want to, you know, um, dedicate your life to a cause, pick one that you're really passionate, passionate about. Um, and then also the thing is, is that look at, you know, who are the major players in that and then start networking. Um, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned is that you can, you know, you know, what you know doesn't get you all the way there, right? <laughs> it's who you know. Um, and networking is very important. Um, you know, relationships can take you at least, you know, 75% of the way and that there is no prescription for success. So, but definitely you want to be focused, you want to be um, deliberate, and you want to take actions that are consistent with your goals and aspirations. And then the other thing is, is that you want to listen and you want to, um, what I was going to say, it just went out of my mind. You want to listen, you want to ask questions, um, and you want to get mentors. You know, you want to get mentors in, you know, people where you see where they are that you want to go. Yes. And know that they're actually going even further, right? Yeah. Um, I wish I had known the mentor thing younger because it has changed my life. Yes. And in mentors in, in various aspects of your life. Right. Like not just career mentors. Yeah. And not just one mentor. You can have multiple career mentors, you know, oh. because then you get different perspectives. Yep. Yep. I've got three 
two are male and one is female for my career. And it has made such a big difference to get me to where the right place for sure. Yes. Yes. That reminds me of this book called Never Eat Alone. Have you read it? I have not read it, but I've heard about it. It's pretty fascinating. And, and I definitely recommend it to somebody who is starting out in their career or even in any part of your career, just because it's, you know, it talks about just the value of a high quality network and how much it really does impact your future. And, and knowing, knowing that importance from the beginning. I mean, I tell young people this all the time. I've, I've told my, my sister who's 18, you know, to really take into account who you're surrounding yourself with and, and, and you just never know where you're going to meet further down the line. So each interaction should be really, you know, respected and, and considered something that, you know, has, has, should leave an imprint. Yes, exactly. And cause they say that you're accumulation of the five people that you surround yourself with most. Yes. And that is so true. Uh, so what are some of your book recommendations like what are some if people personally but also books on you know being a part of of a charity charity or something that to like inspire people to take action in an impactful way um okay so personally some some of you know, a book that has made a big impact is called Crucial Conversations, and then it's counterpart Crucial Accountability. Um, it's basically, you know, about relationships and how to communicate with the people in your life and at work. And several, you know, large organizations, um, they have these, like, this Crucial Conversations curriculum that, um, that they bring in for their employees and it completely changes the um, dynamic of their, their work environment. But the, book, the books are very good for you to implement in your, in your life yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the other book I would also recommend is When Helping Hurts. And so that is a book, um, it's by, I believe some Christian, organiz- uh, Christian, Christian authors, but it basically talks about, you know, don't have the, the white savior complex, you know, when you're coming over to, you know, um, impoverished areas and countries um, that say, like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, wave my white flag and I'm going to help you, right? (laughs) Um, Because some of the things that you can do, you know, that you might think are, you know, helpful are are not actually, you know, put people at a detriment. And so that's a good book as well. I love that. Yeah. Both of those sound so good. I'm going to read them. And one that that kind of, the first one kind of reminds me of like how to win friends and influence people. The Dale Carnegie one, just Mm -hmm. take an interest in other humans genuinely. Like if you're not interested in other people, you're not going to participate in the world properly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is a good book as well. That's a classic. (laughs) Crazy though that we need that reminder, but you read this and you're like, oh yeah, that's like so obvious. And yet I wasn't doing it, you know? (laughs) Well, I think we're, I mean, just as humans, we're very self-centered and self-absorbed, you know, Um, because we look at the world from our own view, and it really takes something to stop and look at the world from somebody else's view, you know, to put aside your own, you know, biases, your own, you know, um, you know, that, you know, I think this is right, and just say, okay, wait a second, you know, let me see this other person's perspective, because, you know, honestly, there's no right and wrong <laughs> you know you can <laughs> you can say that um you know and that that's you know we have we have a, essentially like societal contracts right that we say okay you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this right and everybody has a different perspective on how do you interpret that yeah and so until we actually slow down you know put ourselves and our views aside and actually see what what that person is is coming with and looking at then we can then have a conversation right so true and just also i think knowing that we really know very we don't know and if you come at conversations you don't know anything and you're really Mm -hmm. open you end up learning so much i i mean it took me like 30 years to figure that out and even then i struggled with it a little bit i i do think like 
Um, we have so many benefits of being American, but then at the same time, I feel like maybe it takes us a little bit longer than the rest of the world to stop, like, you know, to really open up our eyes to the, to other people's experiences. That's why I think you do see a lot of people in their, you know, late twenties and 30, late thirties, even it can happen at any point in your life, but you're like, Oh, I'm just like sick of myself. You know, like, like what else is going on out there? So it's like, how long does it just take you to kind of like, be like, Oh wait, there's other things going on. This isn't just, you know, my universe, which you would hope that that stops at age like five or 10. But when you live in a world that's very consumer um, directed, it can be like a subliminal message at every step of the process of life to just, you know, consume, create, own, consume, create, own, you know, instead of just like adding in helping other people in there. Yeah. And that's the, that's the big thing is that a lot of people, like you're out to get yours, right? right. And like, you have to hoard, you know, everything. And like, and just like you said before, you can't take it when you leave, right? And what is it actually doing for you? Right. When we share, when we think about the collective good, you know, um, that's when we can, you know, really move things. And, you know, because I, I really, I really was frustrated with, you know, how do we, and in Americans, we use so much water, right? It's, it's just ridiculous. And then there are people and there are kids that have to walk miles and miles, you know, in all kinds of weather, all kinds of conditions, just to, and carrying, you know, gallons of water back home. To then, and it could be dirty water that they're carrying. Most most of the times it is back home to then either drink or prepare, you know, to boil if they have the funds to do that, and it's gonna get them sick. It's ridiculous. Hi. So with my clothing company, we were gonna put water-related charities on these bikinis that we were selling, and then I realized, you know, trying to save the planet by selling swimwear is like most. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, like it's, they're dumping this guy into the groundwater. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. But my heart was in the right place. And actually, I realized that that's really what I was loving doing was thinking about helping people. But one of the, one of the charities that we were going to work with was a midwife that I was friends with. She was a, she would go to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And basically these women who didn't even have access to birth control. So they were having babies that they didn't, necessarily plan or want or could afford uh, they would right. die during childbirth because they didn't have water and they to, in order to have a clean birth i think it was two buckets of water but it would take you know try carrying a bucket of water 10 feet it's hard you know so they it and it was four miles or something to get to the water so a lot of these women were dying in childbirth because they didn't have access to clean water and it's like when you start opening your eyes to that you're like wow you know this is this is crazy yeah we're we waste so much water here it's not an infinite resource <laughs> you know it's, we you know and so and I also think that the financial aspect of it just from because that's what I do a lot of people are like like you said in this horde mindset and building these insane trusts and whatnot 70% of the wealth is gone by the second generation it's not where they left it you know, so, so that, that should say something like you're killing yourself to give your kids all these money. First of all, leaving too much money to your kids is just going to perpetuate, you know, laziness and addiction and a lot of other issues. It's very rare. You find a person who made a ton of money, left their kids tons of money, and then they were not messed up by it, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's all time people. Um, so, you know, also it's like, if there isn't a planet or a people to take care of, you know, in two generations, that's also a problem. So I do challenge people to look at the metrics of, you know, the finance around, you know, wealth. And I'm not telling everyone to give everything away, but you know, like you, like we were saying, you can't take it with you. And also like, are you just trying to work to buy stuff or are you trying to work to help people? Because, you know, if you're starting out in your career, understanding that you're going to get a lot further. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah. what do you want to leave as your legacy? Right. Exactly. Think about it. And how do you want people to remember you? 
Mm -hmm. um, what do you wish that you'd known before you started all of this? Um, let's see. Well, one that I didn't have to like get all that experience first. <laughs> right. Um, that, you know, I think that the, you know, going, you know, going along in your career, you learn a lot of things. Um, and that I always, I really, you know, I was a really hard worker in high school, um, you know, ended up being valedictorian, you know, went to MIT and then, you know, hard work, right. And then leaving and going into, um, into the workforce, you know, it was like, I put my head down and I'm working. And I think I said this before is that that hard work will actually pay off. <laughs> I yeah. think that, that that's a misconception that I, you know, you can work hard, but if then, you know, there are those people who didn't necessarily work that hard, but they knew how to schmooze and they knew how to make, you know, how to, you know, connect and, um, you know, form relationships and have advocates. And those are the people that moved up, um, that got the promotions. And unfortunately, right? Um, and so you have to do both. You know, I think you have to do both. And, you know, relationships and um, networking is really, you know, that is really where, you know, the progress happens. Um, so that's what I wish I would have known. Right. There's a social, sorry, I talked over you earlier because I said you're from Connecticut, right? Just because I don't think you yes. that. But um, so sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. But um, I do think that people, people don't realize that until very late in their career, sometimes that the social aspect really is quantifiable and it's measurable in success. So it's definitely, it's a good lesson to learn from us because I also figured that out, um, as well. Um, so what are your biggest challenges right now? Um, I guess my, so my biggest challenges are both are both are financial both personally and professionally. <laughs> um, I think that, um, you know, being in the nonprofit space and also wanting to help people, you know, you're, you're not, not looked at as you're looked at as okay well you want to help people so that you have to um you have to sacrifice <laughs> um messed up it's the same as like teachers right we pay them so little and they're educating our future <laughs> exactly and i hope i hope something changes with that because this pandemic has you know made people really realize the value of teachers you know as parents are like you know trying to <laughs> trying to teach their kids yeah. and they're pulling their yeah and they're their, like yeah you know, I didn't sign up to have these kids. You're like, no, you pushed that thing out of your body. You did sign up. It's just that you haven't had to right. do it the last hundred years. You know, right. I, do think, I, think, I think maybe the way forward is be profits because I was having this conversation before we jumped on here and, you know, I was like, you know, I think, I think maybe the solution are B Corps because B Corps allow businesses to grow and flourish while taking into consideration all employees but having a consciousness and a, and a return on community as the core and the, and the spine of the company. So maybe, maybe B Corps are really um, better than nonprofit in a way because you allow professionals to still thrive. You know, you went to MIT, you're an engineer and you're not being rewarded for living in Uganda and helping millions of people. I mean, that is nuts. You know, that is just, that's nuts. And that there's, that's a systemic problem for sure. Yes. Um, I mean, and, and B Corps are, you know, are great. And there are, there are, you know, some of our, some of them are our funders. Um, and it's interesting. One of our largest ones, you know, they started out as a nonprofit and then changed to a B Corp because they realized it wasn't, you know, it was difficult. <laughs> so, but then you have to have a product. Um, and so now, but they, but now they fund other nonprofits, um, right. you know, and they're able to do that with the, you know, you know, ones that they care about not, and able to do that with the, you know, profits that they, that they have. So um, I think that, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that, you know, Spouts of Water was founded as a social business here in Uganda was, was just that also to, you know, be able to employ, you know, local Ugandans and also to make money. 
so that you can then, you know, support the nonprofit work as well. And so that's what's going to be happening, you know, coming up as they, this year will get a dividend from them. Um, you know, but it's, you know, they're still, this is the first year that they're profitable. And so, you know, it's taken, it's taken time because it happens in corporations, right? And companies are not necessarily profitable the first couple of years. So um, I hope that, you know, that'll continue, but we also want to do so much and there's just so much need that we need uh, additional funding. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because when we were talking before, we were talking about water in Florida and how, you know, there's so much work in the water space that needs to be done. But it's interesting because when people feel like it's close to home and that it's going to start affecting their, the value of their homes and the, you know, their, their personal finances, then all of a sudden people start to kind of care. So it's like, where's the bridge, you know, like, how do we make people, you know, understand and be interested, you know, because, you know, in a hundred years, problems halfway across the world can affect our money, you know, in a way. So I guess that's something interesting that can, that could be explored. But I also think that it's, it's sad that the nonprofit world doesn't really value the, the workers as, you know, heart, you know, true professionals, highly intellectual professionals that just want to have purpose with their ultimate purpose with their careers. always ask the ladies on here if you could have one magical blessing like come down what would it be you know would that number be 21 million dollars would you guys be able to deploy that if you got it you know what would that magical blessing kind of look like for you um yeah i it would it would look like unrestricted funding to support staff overhead administration project budgets to install to install you know filters for 21 million people in uganda um you know we're looking to expand to other countries because obviously this is you know it's not singular to uganda but to other east african countries you know and you know actually the world um there are or there are communities in the u.s who you know appalachia you know indian reservations that are um that have this have issues like this too um huh native american american native american uh, reservations that have this issue too there's flint, flint michigan also doesn't have water so oh yeah exactly and that you know i can't <laughs> go into that there's so many places though that are uh, that are slowly getting affected you know and these people have lost everything all their you know they can't sell their homes it's but uh, exactly native american tribes there's a lot in the us that also need this yeah um and so and so like you know as i was thinking about it i was like you know if we got 10 long term partners that are committing at least you know $100,000 a year initially um that would be great for us you know we would you know we would be able to be over a million dollars um, to have that budget and, um, and really, you know, start really taking off. And uh, that would be great. That would be great, you know, as, a <laughs> as an immediate, you know, obviously I want all the money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, because you're doing the right thing with it. Yeah, yeah. And I want to say is that nonprofits, you know, we, the, the, the issue is that, you know, is, is the, um, the view, right, that, well, you're nonprofit, so, you know, you can't make a lot of money, um, and then who your funders are. So it's really like the funders actually have to say, hey, we appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing, and we realize that you are highly skilled and highly professional. Thank you. And that, you know, you can have, you know, this percent of your budget going towards staff, you know, because there are these rating agencies there and then people look at your budget and say well you don't want their operating expenses to, in salaries to be you know more than 10 20 percent of your budget and so then your budget has to be increasingly larger in order for you to actually make a decent amount of money well and but i also think that that's very short-sighted you know because if people look at nonprofits like oh they don't make any money it's like well, maybe the nonprofit doesn't have uh, you know an exit strategy but this work results with 21 million people being empowered in their lives to be hard workers and 
be able to focus on on other things and not have to worry and spend time and resources on just this basic thing in life that sh everyone should have access to you know right. and, it, and it changes mm -hmm. the entire like landscape of Uganda and then you actually have a whole country that functions and can you have how many amazing minds are there you know that can't think because they're not healthy right yeah and I mean that's something that we also you know measured and surveyed was you know kids attention attention span in school you know if they're like dying of thirst and they're sick they're not learning properly. Yeah. What are some of the numbers like of the improvement you've seen? I know you said something along the lines of like when uh, warning, we're going to talk about diarrhea, but you know, if, <laughs> if kids are having that, you know, like what's the percentage that of the, the kids that are not experiencing that? Cause I mean, can you imagine trying to learn and being sick all day? I mean, that's horrible. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we did an, uh, had an impact study done um, last year and, you know, comparing to the baseline studies um, for, for instance, like kids under the age of five, um, you know, the baseline study found that 32.8% uh, of the children below the age of five suffered from diarrhea, 14% um, suffered from typhoid, um, that was in one school. The other school was 32.3% and 11%, um, 11.1% and from typhoid specifically. And then after the installations of the filters, um, you know, the diarrhea suffering went down to 5.7%. And, um, and let's see, and 5.1% for um, typhoid. And wow. so it was, um, you know, significant, significant reduction. Um, and then these kids, you know, it takes, it's expensive to treat typhoid. <laughs> and right. so that, that money doesn't have to go to treating typhoid. Um, they also didn't have to spend money, you know, on wood. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you look at carbon emissions, you know, that's one of the things that we have also measured and, you know, our filters are being rated. And, you know, so each filter um, has a reduction of 2.5 tons of carbon emissions per year. Oh. And then two, two tons of wood not burned per year for each household filter. I mean, that's amazing. That is amazing. And I think, I think this is something that is starting to be something that adds value to businesses is measuring the the effect of of the products and the things that we're that we're using or selling or or that our businesses are built around and uh i i think that people don't like it's it happens with all sorts of things you know when you look at um the the cost of the true cost of like cheap clothes or 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 something like that it's like that didn't just cost you five dollars. It cost the planet up ten million dollars. You know, from social, environmental, you know, all these different things. And so, when you start measuring, you know, like, yeah, this thing costs twenty five dollars, but it saves this much in future correction of damaging the planet, or you know, future earnings of this many people who can now focus on studying and who can focus on building businesses of their own um it's so it's just so important yeah yes very important very important i think that that's why those studies really matter you know because i mean that's a huge that's like the first thing i'd be talking about you know is like hey we're reducing like 2.5 tons of carbon with each filter i mean that alone should get 10 families to put a hundred thousand dollars a year into this you know right. <laughs> yes that, that alone should should bring the money you know, and then two yeah. tons of wood. I mean, per house, two tons of wood. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. That's and a lot. that's so much I money mean, that they're spending on that too. Exactly. I, I wonder what that equates to in in you know cost of living. You know that they're that they would save a year. So it's about two hundred dollars. It's so we we you know because things aren't as expensive here. So we estimate about two hundred dollars. Um, every two years that they're saving. Um, and that's significant for them. Well, so. this is hopefully the first of many conversations about 
you and nonprofits and Uganda and how Spouts is going to, you know, affect some serious change. I want to help in any way that I can. First way, you know, putting you on my platform and having more people be involved. I'm going to put all of the, your links and, and website and Instagrams and all of those things will be in the, the, the place that you read about the podcast. Okay. Uh, and then any more advice or anything I, I didn't ask, but I should have? Um, not that I can think of right now. Um, there was something that I was going to say. Oh, I, okay. The, the quote is, a rising tide raises all ships. Oh, I love that. See? Okay, that's so good. Yeah. Just think about so, that right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. so it's almost like a rising human consciousness will raise everybody up. Yes. Yes. And also like, um, like the history of it, um, they were saying is like really is associated with the idea that an improved economy will benefit all participants and that economic policy, particularly government economic policy should therefore focus on broad economic efforts. And so it's like, you know, thinking about everyone, you know, everyone participating, everyone being, you know, thinking about everyone who's part of the economy. And if you think about that, you have that broad spectrum that, you know, you raise the whole tide, you, you raise the tide, everyone comes up. Right. So, so actually nonprofits create significant benefits in economy and major profit in the long term. So they should be valued as such. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're, what you're doing is so amazing. And I do think that together, you know, with minds like yours, we can make authentic and effective, effective changes to turn thoughts into reality for the good of all people. And hopefully, hopefully we create some change here today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking to you more. Yay. Me too. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation. Hey, all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs who care about the important stuff. I hope you all found some inspiration today, and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons, and to find a link for Howl and Heal, and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all.